Welcome to Advance with MUSE Health. I'm your host, Erin Spain. This show's mission is to help you find ways to preserve and optimize your health and get the care you need to live well. Finding out your genetic risk of different cancers can be an important part of life-saving early detection and preventative cancer care. But which genetic tests should patients look into? And how far has genetic testing come in detecting which people are at higher risk of certain cancers? Here with Insight is Dr. Kevin Hughes, Director of Cancer Genetics in the MUSC Department of Surgery and the McCoy Rose Jr. MD Endowed Chair of Surgical Oncology. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hughes. Erin, thank you. You are a physician scientist who's been involved in the diagnosis and treatment of breast cancer for many years. When did you become interested in cancer genetics and begin focusing on the field of cancer genetics? So I've been working in uh, surgical oncology for quite some time. I was very interested in the risk of cancer as well as treating cancer and working on the risk of cancer. And initially, we were talking about family history more or less in general. But then in uh, 1995, the BRCA1 gene was identified, and this was our first major breast cancer gene being identified, and shortly after, the BRCA2 gene was identified. So with these two genes being identified in 1995, I, at that point, opened up a uh, genetics clinic when I was at Leahy Clinic in Boston and began genetic testing then, and I've been doing genetic testing ever since. It just presents a tremendous opportunity to help patients. Well, tell me, what are the most common cancer genetic tests available today, and who should consider getting one of these tests? So genetic testing has evolved quite a bit. When I first started, you would do a BRCA1 and BRCA2 test, two genes, or you'd look for colon cancer and do four genes or five genes, depending uh, on which test you were using. But the reason was that genetic testing was extremely expensive in the 1990s. Today, the cost of genetic testing has dropped astronomically. So what we do now is look at multiple genes at a single time. It was called a panel test. So with panel genetic testing now, we look for all the cancer genes or a large number of cancer genes at one time. And this can be anywhere from 25 to 80 genes, depending on which lab you happen to use. And it costs the same amount that we used to pay for BRCA1 and just BRCA2, just two genes. So today, what's called panel genetic testing is the type of testing that we recommend. Anyone who had genetic testing prior to 2013 should be retested with panel genetic testing if they had a negative result initially. And in terms of panel genetic testing, there are multiple labs that do this. So there are labs across the country that do the panel genetic testing. I don't tend to recommend one lab over another. You want to pick the lab your doctor is comfortable with and all the labs They have their pros and cons, but they all do a good job on this. So for many of these tests now, the patient can come in to see me and essentially put a little spit into a cup and we send it off and we're done. Also with the COVID problems we've had recently, what was happening is we would counsel the patient by phone, then mail them a kit. They would spit into the uh, cup at home, send it in themselves and get the results back. So either a saliva test or a blood test can be used to do genetic testing today. Now, that does sound pretty easy. So tell me, you know, what barriers stand in the way of people receiving genetic testing today? So part of the barriers that we have go back to when genetic testing first began. When genetic testing first began in the 1990s, it was very expensive. It was scary. We didn't really know what to do with these patients. Once we identified a mutation, it was all relatively new to us. And we we were very careful 
into who we tested, we put a lot of requirements for patients to have before they could get testing done. A very strong family history. They had to come in and see us twice. They had to go home and think about it, et cetera. Now we know a lot about genetic testing. We know a lot about what to do for our patients. We know a lot about making the test uh, cheaper and easier. So today, a lot of those barriers have disappeared in terms of this. But at the same time, many people have held on to the older approach. So I think the main barrier right now, one of the main barriers right now, is that people still think that you have to go to some specialized center to get genetic testing done by a specialized person. When in reality, genetic testing can become more universal, can become more of a commodity, can be more done by almost anyone if they have the appropriate backup. So doing the test is relatively easy. You do need to go through some of the informed consent for the patient to do this, but it's not something that most physicians could not handle when they're educated to do that. But when the test result comes back, that's where you need to bring in the specialist. If someone is positive for one of these genes, you need to have someone who's very familiar with that gene, how to manage it, and what to do for this patient. So I think we're moving more and more toward uh, universal testing, almost testing anybody who walks through the door. And in fact, we're opening a project here at, at MUSC working with a company called Helix, where we're testing everyone. Anybody over the age of 18 can get tested for BRCA or for the Lynch genes, the colon cancer genes. So that's one barrier we're trying to get rid of where patients can just be tested if they want to be tested. And this is being done elsewhere in the country as well, but MUSC is one of the pioneers in this area. The other barrier, of course, is cost, but the cost of testing has gone, gone down astronomically. Many people can afford to pay out of pocket for the test. But for those who can't pay out of pocket, again, with this Helix test, the testing can be done for free. It's done as part of a project within MUSC, and we can test people who are part of the MUSC system for free. So we're trying very hard to get rid of these barriers because patients need to be tested. We need to identify the carriers and need to give these patients better care. So those tests are for people typically who have not been diagnosed with anything yet. It depends on what, how you're looking at it. So there are patients who've never been diagnosed with cancer. There are patients who've been diagnosed with cancer in the past, and we never tested them or tested them with an older test. And there are patients who are, test, who are uh, developing cancer, developed cancer just recently. And for the ones who just developed cancer recently, we need to do urgent testing of those patients often to get the right treatment for them. So the population level test is really meant more as a screening test for everyone when there's no time urgency. You know, the result can take a month or two to come back. But for a patient where you're making a treatment decision, are you going to give this chemotherapy or that chemotherapy? Are you going to do a mastectomy or a lumpectomy? Those tests have to be done commercially, not through the Helix Project currently, because you need an urgent result back. Right now, every time one of your patients is diagnosed with cancer, do you offer genetic testing to them? So Currently, if a patient has cancer and has a strong family history, which means anyone in the family under the age of 45 with cancer, anybody with ovarian cancer in the family, anybody with multiple relatives with cancer, anybody, you know, breast cancer in that case, people with bilateral breast cancer, breast cancer on both sides. With those criteria, if the risk of having a mutation is high, then we recommend genetic testing before doing the surgery. On the other hand, if the risk of having a mutation is relatively low, the family history is not that strong, I would offer them the Helix Project, definitely. And there are some people who test all patients with breast cancer, though that's not always covered by insurance. So I think offering it to all patients with breast cancer makes sense, but we have to do it in a way that, that doesn't put the patient at risk financially. 
So when we're talking about cancer genetics, oftentimes this is a family issue. Tell me about that and how you interact with different generations of the same family at once. That's a very good question. So if you carry a genetic mutation, that means that your children have a 50-50 chance of having that same mutation. And I've been in a situation where a woman was diagnosed with cancer and her daughter was there with her and the daughter asks about risk and the mother wants to be tested to help her daughter, not just for herself, but for her daughter as well. So we usually see that patients, women with breast cancer especially, when you talk about genetic testing, if it helps their family, they are very interested in doing it. But the other point though is that it helps them also. Even a woman with breast cancer can get new information from genetic testing. So it's good for the patient and good for her family. The issue we run into is that I am not the family's doctor. I'm that patient's doctor. So if the patient has a mutation, I would strongly recommend to her to get her family in for testing, but I can't contact her family directly, not currently. So what happens if you do one of these screening panels and you're identified as high risk of a certain cancer? So that could be breast cancer, ovarian, colon, et cetera. What should you do next? You definitely want to see someone who understands genetic cancer. You need to, we're setting up a clinic here where if a patient has a mutation, we'll see them with a nurse practitioner and a genetic counselor, try to explain that mutation, set up a plan of management for them. This is not a one-time thing. So it's not so much a risk for a cancer, but each gene has its own set of cancers. And then each of those cancers comes on at a different level of risk, depending on the gene. So for example, BRCA1, just a name for a gene high risk of breast cancer, high risk of ovarian cancer. We recommend MRI of the breast on a yearly basis, and we consider prophylactic mastectomy, removing the breast to prevent cancer. We don't say you have to do it. It's just one of the things that's available. On the other hand, for ovarian cancer, the risk of ovarian cancer is quite high, and we don't have good screening. So we recommend the ovaries be removed once childbearing is complete. And for BRCA1, that's about age 35 or so. For BRCA2, about age 40. So we look at how high is the risk, what organs are at risk, and when does that risk begin to accrue for that patient. But take another gene, ATM. The ATM gene also increases the risk of breast cancer, but not nearly to the level of BRCA1. So for ATM, we recommend MRI, and we don't recommend prophylactic mastectomy. So if you have a gene mutation, you need to see someone who understands the various genes and puts together a plan specific to you and your medical condition as to what is best for you and then helps monitor that over time. So we make sure that you get the right treatment or the right screening, not just today, but next year, the year after, and on from there. So I think this is what we're looking at in terms of what we call a pathogenic variant clinic, and we'll come up with a better name once we get things organized for it, but somewhere where patients with a mutation can come, be managed at that point in time, and be monitored over time. And in many cases, it's not just me or the genetic counselor or the nurse practitioner taking care of them but we'll send them off to a colorectal cancer specialist or send them off to a gynecologic oncologist or send them off to an ophthalmologist. So making sure we have a good team for that particular cancer gene that covers all the organs at risk. You were talking about mutations and genes that are found during these screenings, but if someone is diagnosed with cancer, the cancer tumor itself can have its own mutations that have nothing to do with your own genes. Tell me about that. Tell me the difference between mutations inside a cancer tumor and mutations that could be found in one of these genetic screenings. Sure. So hereditary cancer is a genetic cancer that runs in the family, and those genes are passed along from mother to daughter or father to son or father to daughter, etc. 
They're in the germline, they're there at birth, and they increase the risk of cancer. On the other hand, cancer is a genetic disease. So your genes, even if they're perfect at birth, develop mutations over time. And as you accumulate mutations in certain genes over time, that's what cancer is. It's these mutations in the cancer. We've now learned that we can do genetic testing of the cancer. And what's different is we call it genomic testing instead of genetic testing, but it's genomic testing. So what mutations are present in that cancer? And when you know what mutations are present in the cancer, you can then often say what drugs are best for this particular type of cancer. So there's a drug called a PARP inhibitor. It works very well for BRCA1 positive cancers, but doesn't work very well for other types of cancers. So knowing the genetic makeup of the tumor can help us plan treatment versus germline testing can help us, well, it can also help us plan treatment, but it helps us screen and identify cancers earlier. What gets interesting is that your tumor often has your germline mutations as well in it. So when we test a tumor, we'll often find out the patient actually has a germline mutation. So you can find them both ways, but they're different types of tests. Your longtime goal as a surgeon has been to minimize the treatment needed in all aspects of breast cancer. Tell me about that and how genetic testing aids you in that effort. Well, the best way to minimize treatment for breast cancer is to do intensive screening. So as we screen the patient for breast cancer, if we find that cancer early, we can then treat it much less aggressively often not needing chemotherapy, sometimes not needing to have the nodes evaluated, maybe not needing radiation. So we want to find cancer early. The standard approach to screening is yearly mammography, starting at age 40. But a woman with a BRCA1 mutation, her risk of breast cancer starts when she's 25. If we don't start screening at age 25, she'll likely develop, she could very well develop a large difficult to treat cancer far before she gets to age 40 and starts her mammogram. So doing the genetic testing helps us to identify patients who need screening earlier, but also people who need more intensive screening. So we do MRI screening in addition to mammography. And for a BRCA1 positive patient, we do MRI from age 25 to 30, and then at age 30, start doing MRI plus mammography. And by doing that, we can find these cancers earlier and at a time when they may not need as intensive a treatment as they would need if we found them later. And this is true for colon cancer as well. If you identify a patient with a colon cancer gene, we do colonoscopies once every two to three years instead of once every 10 years. And if we find a polyp and remove that polyp, we can actually prevent cancer in that patient. So all of these things can help us either prevent cancer or find it earlier but we can't do these intensive approaches for everyone. We have to limit that to people at extremely high risk, and the genetic testing helps define who those people are. And this idea behind minimizing the treatment, I mean, some of the side effects are really devastating for some folks who have to go through more aggressive treatments. So the idea, too, is that they're going to have a better quality of life if you can catch this cancer sooner. Absolutely. So we, we're looking to minimize the treatment, but we're also looking to give the right treatment to everyone. So some patients who have more advanced disease do need more aggressive treatment, do have more side effects, do have more morbidity, but it's in their best interest because their cancers are more advanced or more aggressive. But the earlier we can find the cancer, the smaller it is when we detect it, often we can minimize that treatment and get the same outcome, the same cure rate without putting the patient through very aggressive treatment. So we really want to minimize our treatment, 
We want to get the right treatment for each patient. Aside from genetic testing, what other technology is being used in medicine to help detect cancer earlier? Well, genetic testing is very useful in terms of of identifying patients who might need screening more frequently or more intensively. But there are newer screening tests coming along, like MRI for breast. So MRI can detect cancers earlier. There is now a DNA test for colon cancer that we can do. So these are genetic tests, but a different type of genetic test. So instead of doing a colonoscopy, your stool is checked to see if there are any DNA changes that might suggest there could be a polyp or a cancer. We're now looking at blood tests that could detect cancer earlier. Those are very preliminary. I don't think they're ready for prime time as of yet, but eventually perhaps a blood test could find a cancer earlier than than our other screening technologies. Pancreas cancer is a very difficult cancer to detect early, but there are studies now being done of ultrasound or MRI of the pancreas to find cancer earlier. So we're looking for ways to detect cancers earlier as much as possible. And there are always new technologies coming along and being tested. What is your opinion on some of this artificial intelligence that's being used to detect cancer earlier? Artificial intelligence is a fascinating area. It's basically using the computer to do things that physicians are not able to do. I've done some work with MIT in this area with Dr. Barzilay at that institution. And the potential for the computer to pick up where the human mind leaves off is tremendous. Some of the work that she has done is to take mammography images and then to try to detect the risk of cancer by that image. Now, whether they're detecting increased risk or detecting a cancer before a human can see it, either way, they're identifying patients who need more intensive screening earlier on. This is very preliminary. It's very promising. It should become part of routine medical care in the near future. It's not ready for that quite yet, but that's what's being done currently. And the thing with artificial intelligence is that it can constantly be made better. As computers get more intelligent, have better chips, are are more able to do bigger algorithms, harder algorithms, it'll keep getting better. Humans, on the other hand, have topped out. I'm not sure we're going to keep getting better. But the other thing that's valuable is that when we compare artificial intelligence to the best physicians in the world, the best radiologists in the world, the best radiologists probably are a little bit better currently. That may not be the case for very much longer. But when you take that artificial intelligence and put it in a smaller hospital or put it into a a rural area or put it into an underserved country, it could potentially bring the level of care up tremendously. So if we can get the computer to be as good as the best physician, that means that that level of care is available to anyone. You are new to MUSC Health. What brought you here? And what are you the most excited about accomplishing in this new role? Well, I came from uh, Mass General Hospital from Harvard, which is a very good hospital. When I came down here, what uh, attracted me was the people and the ability to do breast cancer care at the top of the game, uh, working with very good people in this institution. But what really attracted me was the ability to really expand genetic testing, to get genetic testing out to the population to find as many mutation carriers as possible before they develop cancer. And the Helix project actually was a bonus. That just happened to come along uh, at the time I was arriving. And that gave us the ability to go out beyond just the cancer patients or the high-risk patients, but to all patients and identify all mutation carriers that exist. That doesn't happen very many other places. MUSC is really a pioneer in population-level genetic testing, and I want to be part of that. Is there anything else you want to add? I think that a lot of what's happened with genetic testing still harkens back to the days when it was scary and it was expensive and it was a problem and people were worried about doing it. 
I want people to understand that genetic testing is something that helps with your health. It's like any test that's scary. Getting a mammogram is scary. You might have a cancer. Getting a colonoscopy is scary. You might have to have a polyp removed. All these tests can be scary, but they're in your best interest. So with genetic testing, I certainly recommend genetic testing for as many patients who need it. And I think we're moving to a point where everybody needs it. And so I think that it's important to know that genetic testing has tremendous health benefits and health, health possibilities, not just the scariness that people will talk about. For more information on this podcast, check out advance.musehealth.org.